Let me pray. Lord, I, I pray as I move into this week's uh, sermon that you would just guide and direct. I pray for the hearts of the people in this room. I pray, regardless of where they are on the journey, that they would receive what you have for them today. That you would receive what you have for them today. And our prayer today, as it is every week, is that we would leave different than we came, that we would interact with the living God and leave this room different than we came, that we would be, not be satisfied with checking a box or playing church, but that you would do a work in us and through us and that we would leave different. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week we're asking the question, is there more to life than just this? You saw the video that we did, and I had a chance to go down with the crew on Monday and film that little man on the street video. We're going to do it again uh, this Monday with a different question. We're going to try to do that as many times as we can throughout this series. I, I loved it, actually. Um, but I was, I, I was kind of surprised, first of all, how, how many people were willing to have the conversation with and how honest most people were. And So what makes you happy was a fairly easy question, and people you saw, you know, money, you know, people named friends, family, named, people named a lot of things that make them happy. And we weren't trying to trick people, nor did we correct them. You know, you're wrong. That doesn't make you happy. And, and it was a good conversation. But then we asked people, is there more to life than this? And almost everyone said, is there more to life than, than this? Like they were confused a little bit by the question. But as they thought about it, and as you watch that, uh, I was kind of like struck that the vast majority of people were kind of like, I think what they were saying is, I hope so. Well, yeah, I think so. Uh, and you saw, I, know, I don't know if you noticed the one young guy. Um, he was the one that kind of hit my heart the hardest because he just basically said, no, I think when you die, this is it. Right? And we got some good uh, people who knew Jesus, obviously, and they, they gave us a different answer, and that was great. But, but it was just interesting to, to be down there and to, to, to just go from person to person and talk about it. And one thing it re I realized in that is how willing people are to just have a good conversation. Maybe we need to ask that question more often. This has nothing to do with my sermon. So somebody back there wondering, where is he? Where is he? I don't know where to go with the slides. <laughs> but, if that, but, if, but if we could do it with a camera crew, how much easier just to sit with somebody and say, hey, what makes you happy? Where, do you think there's more to life than this? And in a lot of ways, that's the Alpha series. It's just, we're just going to sit in a room and we're going to ask good questions and we're going to get good conversation and, and people are going to share their hearts and we're going to invite the Spirit of God to do something in that process. Here's what I want you to know. This series that we're about to partake in, that we're launching today, has the potential to change more than just your understanding. The stuff that we're going to learn over the next seven weeks can change your life, regardless of where you are in the journey. Whether you've been following Jesus for decades or you're still just exploring this whole thing about Jesus, it can change your life if you allow yourself to take hold and to grab a hold of what we're talking about, including what we're going to talk about this morning. What's holding you up? What's holding you up? I love the question, and, and part of the reason I love the question is because it really is a, it's, it's a question that man has been searching for and contemplating really since the beginning of time. Think about it. Songwriters, poets, philosophers, preachers all take their shot at this enormous question. Is there more to life? Is, is there more going on? Is there something beyond just this? Actually, it seems like mankind is in a perpetual search for something more. Think about this, The Purpose Driven Life, one of the best-selling books ever written. It was written by um, 
just lost his name. Rick Warren, thank you. Um, so he writes this book, becomes a bestseller. Why was it such a bestseller? Well, partly because it's a good book, but partly because it actually scratched an itch that everybody has. Everybody wants to know, like, what's my purpose? What does God want for me? So, the, so he writes this book, it goes, goes crazy, right? Or you think about Bono, the singer of U2. Writes a song in 1987, releases it. It soars to the top of the chart, and the song was called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. I believe it goes to the top of the chart for two reasons. One, it's a really good song, and it's just, it's a really good song. But because if you listen to the lyrics, almost all of us at some level can relate. I, I'm still searching for something. I, I know there's something more out there. I still haven't found that thing that, that gives me life. And so it, we, it resonates with us. And so we, the song shoots to the top. I think in our mind's eye and our lives, we think about all the things that we could have that would give us more life. So we say to ourselves, well, if I just had more money then I'd have a better life. If I had more friends, if I were more popular, maybe if I had some semblance of of fame, boy, that would really give me life. In the 1700s, a philosopher by the name of Arthur uh, Schopenhauer wrote these words. He said, wealth is like salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. And he said, the same is true for fame. Now, there's nothing bad about or evil about wealth or, or, or being popular or being famous, those aren't bad things. But if you ask somebody who has wealth, if you ask somebody who has fame, has that really brought meaning to your life? Has that really helped you to have a fullness of life? They would say, no, I, I still feel like I'm searching for something more. I think everybody in the room probably knows who Tom Brady is, or at least the vast majority of us. He's the quarterback for the New England Patriots. He's won four Super Bowl rings, um, wildly successful. He's known as a kind of a, I don't know if this is a good thing to say, but he's known as a player. He's out there. He's, you know, partying. He's having what he thinks is a great time. He's got more money than he could ever spend. Um, success beyond success. Even if you don't like the Patriots, even if you are upset about Inflategate or whatever they call that thing with the footballs, you can't, you can't really deny Tom Brady is wildly successful in his field. Well, Tom Brady had a chance after winning his third Super Bowl ring before he won the fourth to be on 60 Minutes. And I want you to watch just a little bit of what Tom Brady, who's at the top of his game, says about fame and money. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I think I've watched that, um, I've watched that a lot of times. It haunts me every single time. Because to me, it's almost like he's praying. Because he says, God, there's got to be more to life than this. Like he's so close, but yet you know from listening to it that he really doesn't know. And then he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I'd like to call him up and tell him, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't take my call. So maybe I'll send him a letter instead. Hey, Tom, this is Doug. Anyway, 
So we think money, we think uh, popularity is going to do it for us. Or, or maybe we think it's, it's a new job, it's a new career. I remember uh, when I was really young, I, and really young, I, I read, and I remember where I was, it was, a, it was a, at a Cub Scouts thing, and there was a little napkin, and on the napkin was this drawing of a building and a ladder leaning on the building, and under it, the caption was, um, be careful that you don't spend your life climbing the ladder of success only to find out it's leaning on the wrong building. So I'm just a little kid, and I read that, and that, that kind of truth has kind of stuck with me of this, this thing of perpetually trying to, to get somewhere to have something. So we think if we just had more money, if we had more success, if we had more fame, if we had more popularity, if we had a great job, that would do it. And, and we find out that doesn't work. And so then we start to tell ourselves, or maybe it's simultaneously, well, maybe it's all about family. Family is what we need to really fulfill that deepest desire in us. Or maybe we turn to sex or being in great shape. If I just had physical health, man, that, that's what I need. Then I'm going to have the fullness of life that I'm looking for. If only the lions would win for a change, right? If your contentment depends on the lions, uh, we have a prayer team. We can meet you down here afterwards. <laughs> but the problem is none of these things really satisfy our deepest needs. And the truth is, don't miss this, if you know what satisfies your deepest needs, then all of those other things, a lot of them good things that God has given us, a lot of those other things, they all become richer because we actually know what actually gives us life. So the, the things and the gifts, just like where I started, these, they have the potential to be great things in our lives, but if they're held in the wrong spot, they become idols and, and they bring us down. So if you know what really gives you lives, life, the other things in your life become richer. And so Knowing the true source makes your family life much richer. It puts money in its proper place, and it makes the lions not winning, not quite as devastating as maybe as it could be. You tap into the true source of life, what really gives meaning and richness to your life, and everything else becomes richer. And if we really are honest with ourselves, if we really um, are willing to be introspective for a minute, we realize that on some level we're all guilty of trying to find life in the wrong things. Grab your Bibles, turn to John, the Gospel of John chapter 10. John 10. And here's the deal. Jesus is teaching some of his followers, and he's just got done saying, uh, before we read the passage I'm at, he's got done, just got done saying, I am the good shepherd. Now you see for us, we gotta do a lot of mental gymnastics. When Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd, then we have, to, we have to train our minds to know what it means to be a shepherd. But the people listening to Jesus in the context that he said that wouldn't have had to think at all. They would have known. As a matter of fact, many of them probably were shepherds. If they weren't shepherds, they had friends who were shepherds. They knew the shepherding culture. And they would know when Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd, that what he meant is I care for my sheep. I love my sheep. I provide for my sheep. I look over my sheep. I, I would lay down my life for the sheep. They would know what all come, what comes with being a good shepherd. And, and many of them probably even served as, as youngsters, as being under shepherds within the flocks and learned what it means to really look out for and to love and to care for the sheep. So, so Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. Nobody is like, what does that mean? Now we have to do that work because we don't live in a shepherding culture. We don't understand it. But, but just know that when he said, I'm the good shepherd, they would know all of the nuances and all of the positives that came with that one little statement. We didn't really plan it this way, um, but it was so cool to me that John wrote that song that he played for us, the second song he did, the Psalm 23 song, and he said, the Lord really is my shepherd, and because of that, I take delight in him. It was a cool, 
piece of how those came together this morning. So Jesus says, be encouraged, because I'm your shepherd. And then look at verse 10. So we're in chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus has just said he's a good shepherd. And then he says, the thief comes to kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I was thinking about this last night. I didn't say this in the first service, but I was thinking about that first sentence. The thief comes to steal and, and destroy. As a matter of fact, there's a shepherd and he's watching over the sheep. If anybody comes in, the reason they were coming in and they're not the shepherd would be to steal one of the sheep. They actually just want a lamb burger. Really, they're coming to steal the sheep because they're going to harvest the sheep. They're going to bring harm to the sheep. And what he's saying is, look, if the thief comes, it's not to look out for you. It's to literally kill you. And this is what we have to understand in this passage. Jesus is making this clear indication that there are two things going on. There are two forces at work. There is a thief, and the mission of the thief is to steal your joy, to rob your peace, to kill your heart's deepest desire. The thief is determined to destroy any sense of meaning or purpose that you may have. If there is more to life than just this, it's this, the thief's desire to make sure that you never find out what it is. And here's the deal. We need to recognize this idea of there being a thief, this idea of there being a force out there that's working against us that desires to kill us. And we need to recognize this because if we don't, we end up fighting on the wrong front. We either end up fighting against ourselves or fighting against the people around us. So when we fight against ourselves, we become self-abasing. We start to have this voice in our senses. You're, you're not good enough. You can't do this. You sin too much. You've done too many bad things. You can't do this. You're a bad person. Whatever that voice is, you're too weak. You're too damaged. And we go to war against this inner voice, and, and it drags us down, and it sends us into a downward spiral. We beat ourselves up. And when we do that, the thief who's trying to kill and destroy you, the thief who's trying to rob you of any sense of purpose or life wins the battle. We have to recognize that there is evil out there and he is fighting to bring you down. We have to recognize where the battle actually lies so we know how to fight the battle. So if you look at Ephesians 6.12, you don't need to turn there, I'm going to read it for you, but, but the writer of Ephesians, Paul says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the greatest buzzkills in life is relational strife. When you fight with your kids, like when you really have a heart-to-heart -heart argument with your kids or with your spouse or with a close personal friend, nothing can send us into a downward spiral than, than a lot of relational tension, maybe even with your, your boss. But that, that relational tension has the, the tendency to just do havoc in our lives. And so what do we do? We, we get louder, we get more uh, animated, we bring more words to the table, we try to convince the other person. And what we end up doing is we end up escalating the conflict that exists and it becomes even more than it was and it's so de depressing and it just takes us out of our rhythm and, and all of that exists and and Paul is saying wait a minute you're, you're fighting the wrong battle because Ephesians says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood what is flesh and blood well flesh and blood just means people we are flesh and blood we don't fight against people but where do you spend most of your time fighting against people so we fight the wrong battle. We wrestle against the wrong thing, and the people in our lives end up being victims or casualties of friendly fire. 
There's an enemy. So important that we know this. There is an enemy, and his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy the life that God wants you to have. Jesus continues in John 10.10. He says, But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Two forces. One is evil, wants to steal life from you, and the other is good. And he says, My very purpose in coming, the very reason I came was to give you life. So the question is, is there more to life than just this? And the answer is, absolutely. There is more to life, and it's available to everyone in this room. But the question is, well, what is life? What is this life that Jesus is talking about, and and how do I have it to the full? I believe the deepest longing for every human is to be fully known and deeply loved. The deepest longing for every human is to be fully known and deeply loved. All of life is either in pursuit of this deepest longing, this desire, or it's an attempt to suppress or mask the desire. The thing that makes life so complicated is that when you really want something and you don't get it, the hurt is deeper, right? The greater the desire for something, the deeper the hurt when you don't get it. If you really didn't care and it wasn't that important to you and you don't get it, you say, eh, it's no big deal. But when, you, when your deepest longing and your deepest desire is here and you don't get it, the pain of that can be so detrimental to, to who we are. And so it causes great pain. I have friends who have closed their hearts completely and they're unwilling to risk in relationship because they believe deep down that if somebody really knew me, they'd never love me. They've been hurt so deeply by someone that they've decided to hide is safer than to risk. The deepest longing of every human is to be fully known and deeply loved. So when you're abused by a father or rejected by a mother or abandoned by a spouse or bullied as a kid in school, those wounds land in the deepest places. And our hearts find self-protective ways and it becomes a trap. I have other friends who have decided that the best way to go after this is in the arms of somebody else to chase after people to fill their deepest desire. So they move from relationship to relationship. They move from one bed to the other all the time thinking if this person is going to get it done for me, if this is the one that's going to bring purpose. They're looking to fill that deep void that they fill. But they come up empty. People that have a deep, unhealthy need to be seen and noticed. And if they are not, that failure to be seen sends them into a downward spiral. The root of our destructive behavior in our life stems from this deep desire to be known and to be loved. And again, if we're honest, if we really look at our own lives, we realize that we're all guilty at some level of chasing after something to fill that need pornography, any sex outside of God's design, substance abuse. They're all attempts to meet that heart's desire to just feel better about who we are and and what we have. And here's the thing that I think is more uh, subtle and and hard for us to put our, our heads around. But when we turn to friends 
and family to fill this void that we have. It, it creates havoc in our lives. And, and the thing that makes it hard is there's things in our lives that are absolutely good things and necessary things, but if they become the thing that we use to fill our deepest desires, they come up short and it creates all kinds of tension in our lives. If the deepest longing of our heart is to be fully known and deeply loved, if this is indeed true, then money, popularity, family, fame, people, substances cannot get it done for us. The hard truth is no person, not your friends, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your mother, not your father, not your spouse, not your kids, not your best friend in the whole world had the ability to meet this deepest need. People are incapable of loving perfectly. And when we expect people to love us perfectly and they don't, then it creates such a deep level of disappointment that this becomes the fertile ground for the conflict in all of our relationships. Let me give you an example of this. If I try to get from Meg what I'm supposed to get from God, I set Meg up for failure. Because Meg can't love me perfectly and unconditionally. It's an unrealistic expectation. She will fail, and when she fails, I will become angry at that, I will become disappointed in that, and we will have conflict in our relationship. But if I get what I'm supposed to get from God, if I really get this sense of being fully known and fully loved from God, then Meg is free to just be Meg and to love me as best she can. And the amazing thing happens is our relationship improves because I'm no longer putting this unrealistic expectation on her. If we expect to get from people what we should get from God, we will be continually disappointed. But if I receive the life offer through the person of Jesus, if I really have confidence in the the love and the provision of God, people can just be people, and suddenly there is so much less conflict in all of my relationships. Jesus said in the passage we read in John 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This is my responsibility. I, Jesus, came for this very reason, to give you life, and not just life, but a full life, not a busy life, not a life full of lots of money, but something deeper than that, something richer than that, that that goes beyond anything material. I have come to give you a deep understanding of what it means to be fully known and deeply loved. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. But the question is, what is life? Life is found in knowing that you are fully known and deeply loved. That nothing is hidden from God. He knows all the good. He knows all the bad. He knows everything about you. In spite of all of your warts, in spite of all of your troubles, in spite of all of your blemishes, he knows you and he loves you beyond your ability to even comprehend that love. John 17, Jesus actually tells us, well, what is life? And he says, now this is eternal life, that, you, that they know you. He's praying a prayer back to God. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know and love the love of the Father, to, to know Jesus as his son, that's life. And the cool thing is that's 
eternal life, meaning it's never ending. But sometimes we look at that and we think eternal life is just something that happens after I die. And what Jesus is saying, no, 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 I just want you to know it starts now. It starts today. You get to know your heavenly father. You get to know Jesus today. And knowing that is going to bring a fullness of life to everything that you do. Is there more to life than just this? There is, and it's found in the person of Jesus. And the more you sink into this truth, the more this truth goes from here to here, the more it has the potential to change everything else that you navigate through. As you participate in Alpha, you're going to hear a man by the name of Nicky Gumbel teach every week. He does a video, and we show that video in the Alpha course. And many of you have been through Alpha, and you know who he is, but some of you haven't. And what I wanted to do was show you a little clip from Nicky Gumbel where he talks about this movement of knowledge from here to here in the invitation of Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So let's watch this video. Not just intellectual truth, head knowledge, but heart knowledge. In other words, truth as experience. What's the difference between intellectual and heart knowledge? Forgive me using this analogy, but uh, I've been married to my wife, Pippa, for 37 years. Uh, But supposing before we were married, before I'd even met her, I went into a bookshop, and there was a book in there with the title, Pippa, The Amazing Woman. And I picked that up and I thought, oh, that looks really interesting. Chapter one, her extraordinary intelligence. Chapter two, her sparkling personality. Chapter three, her potential to be a long-suffering wife. (laughs) Chapter four, her cordon bleu cooking skills. Chapter five, her sporting ability. Quite a short chapter. but not as short as if it was about my sporting ability, I hasten to add. If I read that book and said, wow, she sounds an amazing woman, that's head knowledge. Now I can tell you she's an amazing woman. That's experience. And when Jesus said, I am the truth, he was talking about an experience of truth, that we could have a relationship with him, an experience that Jesus... Not just that there's evidence for the resurrection, but we can actually experience a relationship with the risen Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, and I'm the truth. And then he said, and I am the life. Isn't that awesome? So that's Nicky Gumbel. Like I said, you're going to hear more of him. Whenever I hear it, I want to do the rest of the sermon with a British accent, but I can't. Very charming. Life is found in the person of Jesus. But it's not just a head knowledge. I love that he talks about the evidence of Christ. One thing you just can't miss, Jesus really was. He is is a verified historical figure, and that's not enough. It's not enough just to know about Jesus. There's this invitation to actually know, to experience Jesus, to be deeply known and deeply loved improves every aspect of your life. It's the key to unlocking life to the fullest. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. It cannot happen without Jesus. And I know this is not politically correct, 
but what we're talking about today, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The fact is, he really is the only way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to God except through me. No one gets to the Father unless they come through me. And this means that this truth that we're talking about, it's either for everyone or it's for no one. Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. If we say it doesn't really matter, if we say things like, well, I think all ways lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe. All religions get to the same place. It is truly the equivalent of sticking your head in the sand and ignoring the facts. Because all the religions can't lead to the same place because they contradict one another. They stand in contradiction. They can't all be true because they aren't saying the same thing. There is such a thing as truth. All religions cannot lead to the same place. And if we believe always lead to heaven, then what that says is Jesus is wrong. And if Jesus is wrong, he is certainly not God. And if Jesus is not God, then he has nothing to offer us except for some creative teaching. He certainly doesn't offer us life or eternity with the Father. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And the implications of that statement are a matter of life and death. Jesus comes to give life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus wants to give us life, abundant life. And that life that he wants to give us starts right now. Not the promise of something after you die. That's there. But this is about knowing God, as, as we just heard, knowing God in a deep way. The question is, is there more to life than this? And there is. And it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. There is only one thing that can fill your life. There is only one thing that can solve that deepest longing that you have to be fully known and fully loved and that is the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and they're going to play a little music. And while they play a little music softly, I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture. I'm going to read a quote from J.I. Packard in the move description. I just want to pray those passages over you, and I, and I want you to just allow them to kind of sink in a little bit. And I thought a lot about how do I want to end this, and you know, I can't do better than Scripture. It's already there. Everything I would want to say is already in the passages that I'm going to read. And so what I want you to do is, is hear the passages, maybe for the first time in a different place. Maybe you've heard them a hundred times, but today God wants to say something different through them. So before I read the passages, I just want to read a quote from J.I. Packard in his book, Knowing God. He says, what matters supremely is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hand. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off of me, or his attention is distracted from me. No moment, therefore, when his care falters. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all of the twisted things about me that my fellow man do not see, 
and I am glad. And he sees more corruption in me than which I can see in myself, which in all consciousness is enough. There is equally a great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize that very purpose. As they play, I want to read these passages and I'm just going to read them maybe once, maybe twice, and I'm just going to pray a prayer. But I just ask that you reflect on the power of these scriptures this morning. Acts 17, speaking of Jesus, says, For in him we live and move and have our being. In Jesus we live and move and have our being. Lord, help us to know, not just know in our heads, but know deep in our spirit that the the very existence of who we are is rooted in your son, Jesus. In him, we live life to the full. In him, we move with purpose. And in him, we have our very being. Psalm 16, 11. God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lord, help us to sink into the fullness of joy. Show us the paths to life. Help us to connect with your son Jesus so that it brings life. Lord, help us to fight the battle against the one who comes to kill and destroy. Jesus says in Revelation, I am the Alpha, the Omega, who is, who was, and is to come. I am the Almighty. 1 John 2 says, remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promises eternal life. Psalm 139 says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know full well. Lord, help us to know that you know everything about us. You created us. You knit us together in your mother's womb. You know every blemish. You know every mistake we've ever made. You know everything we bring to the table, good and bad. And you love us beyond our ability to understand. Lord, help us to comprehend the love of the Father made manifest in the death of the Son. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. John 3.16 and 17 says, God loved the world so much. God loved people so much that he gave his one and only son that anyone who believes would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. We're going to sing a song that we sang earlier together. And I'm going to invite you to come down if you want to come down. 
I believe there's two groups of people in the room, those who need to accept this truth and begin a journey with Jesus. It's pretty easy. It's recognizing that what I talked about today is true and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I am messed up. I am, I am just, I, I can't do it. But I believe that what Doug said today is true. I believe the, the scriptures that we read are true. And so I put my trust in you. It's that easy. And today you began life in the full. And there's another group of people who have known Jesus for a long time, but you're not getting a whole lot of life out of it. There's things that are getting in the way. So maybe you want to come down and just leave some of that stuff here at the front. We have a group of people who are willing to pray for you. And if you're part of that team, why don't you come down now and just be down at the front so people know who can pray with you. And if you just want to pray on your own, just come and kneel by yourself. And we may put a hand on you and pray, but I just want to invite you. So we're going to sing. And if you want to come down, come down. If you don't want to come down, it's okay. Pray where you are. But I'm confident God has something for everybody this morning. Lord, so as we sing as we pray, stir in our hearts. Lord, I pray for the people who are desiring to come to you this morning. Would you encourage them? Would you fill them? Lord, help us to know you, to truly know you at the deepest level so that we can have the fullness of life.